Welcome to Karate in the Garage. I'm Corey Cope. I'm Freddie Woff. Wow. This is only our fourth time we've done this? Fourth, fifth, fourth. Yeah. In the first time in over a year, we have a guest on the show. What? Yeah. And you know us. We're always trying to find people that we know in the business that maybe aren't as well known or... Or just people that, you know, how many times do you need to hear from... I'm not going to say his name, but I mean, you know, we we like real guests. (laughs) People who are doing the work. And doing the work and also not in the middle of some press junket <laughs> promoting whatever they're promoting. Yeah, We're answering totally. the same hundred questions over and over again. Correct. Today we have a very special guest, a friend of Friday's you guys worked with at least once, right? Killerman was just on? once. Yeah. Weirdly. Weirdly. <laughs> but that's all it takes, right? It seems like more, but it's just yeah, it's just the one time. Right. Welcome, Whitney and Adams. Whitney. Thank you so much for having me. So glad to be here. And I can't wait to, Freddie, I can't believe it's only been once. We need to do more things. Right? (laughs) It seems like, I I think it's just because it went on forever. It seems like it it was three movies. (laughs) Yes. Killerman was, was, I think that was the first thing that Freddie had done, had completed and was released when he and I first were becoming friends as far as like the most recent thing he had done. Mm -hmm. And boy. That's a visual movie. That's a, I mean, it's, and it goes for it. I, I just showed the kid that recently, my son, Joey, and he, it's interesting what he gravita- gravitates to. He was into it extra because Freddie worked on him, but he really dug it a lot. And uh, so, yeah, he, it's a good tone of a movie, but that's not your first movie. <laughs> you've done, <laughs> you've, you've had a, an, an interesting career. And, and like we've talked about on the show before, with when we had guests on and when we've just been talking about a certain artist we really have uh, appreciation for not everybody has the same path even if it's the same title or same position that they're holding not everybody gets there the same way that is most definitely be true of uh, people working in costumes and costume design like you do Whitney has a great story how she got it it's, you're, you're not going to hear this from anybody else I guarantee it it's pretty wild um I'll do like the abridged version, but um, I went to college for pre-med and decided two weeks in that that was not going to work out. And then I became a theater major. Uh, I took my one fun class when I was taking chemistry and calculus was intro to theater design. And that was it. I just knew in my gut, I couldn't really explain how I knew I wanted to be a costume designer. But looking back, I was always obsessed with movies, obsessed with the arts and uh, it all kind of clicked into place. And then I moved to New York and tried to get a job on Broadway. And then I worked in a Broadway costume shop for three years. So I was a tailor. So I made things from all sorts of Broadway shows. I did Beyonce's World Tour in 2009. I was um, all sorts of tailors to different people. And Liza Minnelli, I got to make a bunch of uh, personal things for her. So I did a lot of fun projects. And then I, um, before I graduated college, I entered a costume design contest as part of the movie Australia, uh, Baz Luhrmann and Catherine Martin's Australia. And the costume contest was design a costume for Nicole Kidman's character when she arrives in Australia. And I'm in the middle of graduation. I am like trying to finish my thesis. I'm like, okay, I have to do this because my favorite movie is Moulin Rouge. I've seen it over 300 times. And I was really sick in high school, and so when I was in the hospital, I watched that movie every day for six months, and it sort of kept me from being so depressed about the fact that I was possibly dying. So it was a really, you know, important touchstone for me. So I entered this contest, moved to New York, found out six months later I won the whole thing, and I won a trip to Australia, which is cr- <laughs> wow, that's crazy. That's awesome. <laughs> Absolutely crazy. And then I emailed Catherine's website. Being like, thank you so much for the contest. I'm so excited to go to Australia, um, and I love your work. And their assistant wrote me back and, was, and told me that Baz and Catherine weren't going to be in Australia when I was there, but do you want to come by their house and have tea in their garden? I was like, <laughs> uh, yes, please. Yes. <laughs> had, a, had a lovely time Silvana, with uh, Silvana. She's amazing. And then uh, two years pass, and I saw Baz was going to be the chairperson of the New York Musical Theater Festival. This is 2010. I bought a ticket to the gala, emailed Silvana. I was like, hey, I happen to be going to the same gala that they're going to. Can I meet them? She's like, sure, we'll set something up. A few hours later, she asked what I'm up to. And then a few hours after that, their head producer calls me from Australia and is like, can you work for us for three weeks? 
And those three weeks turned into, you know, eight plus years. And the first project I worked on with them was The Great Gatsby. So (laughs) that was my first movie, which is insane. That's wild. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's funny because I know the story and it's still like when I hear it, I'm like, oh God, that's so, that's, yeah, it's so great. Um, because so crazy. like I said, you won't hear that story from anybody else. It was funny because when, once you started off the medical school thing, I, I didn't recall that until you started telling him like, oh, Freddie has talked about you before and he cut himself short because we just need to have Whitney on the show. Let her tell the story. Yeah, and totally. I was so, like, I'm just going to ruin it. I, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We talked recently about about Boz Lerman's Elvis and mm-hmm. how his work doesn't always hit you the first time. And I felt like that first one for me was Romeo and Juliet, where mm-hmm. I I I that was the only one in the theater I saw that that just drew me in. Moulin Rouge, I mean, visually, I mean, you just expect that from him. Mm-hmm. But the second and third viewing of his movies, they they just grow inside of you in a way that not a lot of us filmmakers are able to do. And you're already sucked in with the visual. You're already sucked in with the sonic because he's always so good at that tightly woven story tied to the music, needle drops or whatever he's doing. But Gatsby, holy shit. <laughs> yeah. I remember when it was first announced, you kind of make that little, you chuckle about it my, because of all these projects that end up coming out after maybe Entourage made jokes about certain things being made and, mm-hmm. and then the Great Gatsby, Scorsese's Great Gatsby, right? That's what it was. Yes, yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah, but I can't imagine the challenges of a movie like that where, I mean, it's another one of those movies that's a ground up kind of thing. You can't go down to wardrobe or anything in town here or anywhere in the country and just go, yeah, I need... 30 of those. I need 50 of those because they just don't exist. And we built everything from scratch. I mean, and so because Baz's worlds and what Catherine does, they're so particular and they're so specific. So that's why we had to create everything. And we wanted a modern audience or a 2013 audience to feel like what it felt like to go to those parties and to be in that world. And so you can't just recreate 1920s outfits exactly historically accurate i mean we did nine months of research so we knew everything about you know the time period inside and out but that was our foundation and then you play upon that you make the heels a bit higher you make the skirts a bit shorter you try to appeal to who's going to see the the movie and that sort of ties in with the soundtrack and with all the other visual language of the movie and so it just is an overwhelming visual experience, but that's what you want it to be. That's you. You want to feel like you're there. Right. Right. Yeah. It's to, the, the thing about that movie. It's totally immersive. That movie. Mm-hmm. Yep. Totally. And houses for nuttiness. Gatsby just turned 10 this past Monday. Wow. Yeah. I can't, I know this is something that we talked about that one when, when Moulin Rouge had its anniversary. I'm like, how is this movie this old? It, I know. It's crazy. Well, it's be, I think because you've watched it so like we've, I mean, I, I spoke about this when we were talking about Elvis. I've seen Moulin Rouge, not nearly as much as you have, and I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to try to attempt to catch up to you, but. <laughs> I don't think anyone can catch up to me. <laughs> <laughs> I know some people have, that see it and don't, or, or poo-poo it because they just don't. They don't. They don't understand what that movie is, and I think it kind of goes across the board with a lot of his movies. And yes, it's Gatsby is an it's a known property. It's a it's been a movie before. It's obviously really classic literature, but it's the same thing can be said about Romeo and Juliet. Mm-hmm. But it's definitely his movie through and through, and it's not what you expect it to be. And, and when you get there, same thing with Gatsby. For me, I'm like, oh, I know the story, but it's Boz. So yeah. <laughs> Yeah, a completely <laughs> different thing. Right, <laughs> he's definitely a filmmaker who's has a stamp. You know, if you dropped me into a movie theater and didn't tell me anything about the movie and it came on, I would know his work like in a heartbeat. Yeah, and for a guy who has very visually stunning projects, even Australia, even Australia will. Still- I love Australia, so don't say it it's, like that. Like no, no, <laughs> no. It's I'm not disparaging at all. Like I, I t- like I talked about how much his movies. Don't always get me the first time, but they always get me in the end. And they're so powerful. And, and yeah. Baz, Baz is actually recutting Australia t- into a series right now. So that Ooh. will be coming soon. Fantastic. Which is very exciting because I love Australia and I feel like it didn't get its due at the time. So yeah, I'm it, thrilled for more people to see it. 
Yeah, me too. I did, like I said, it's weird because I feel the two of his films I've seen the most are not the ones you guys have seen the most. <laughs> but I've seen Romeo and Juliet and Australia probably more than any, and maybe Strictly Ballroom because mm-hmm. it was a point like when it first came out. I probably had an illegal cable box at the time. What? Amazing. Oh, that thing that thing you didn't mention before? <laughs> yeah, I've never talked about this illegal cable box, but um, Strictly Ballroom was a movie that was on all the time. And just visually, when it would come on, I would just, you know, I, I would sit there and sit from anywhere. If I walked in 20 minutes into the movie, it doesn't matter because when you're looking at it, it's, you know, it's just a thing of beauty. So I have seen that quite a lot as well. <laughs> His filmmaking lens right out the gate. Like you just know he had such yeah. a story to tell from the, you know, minute one. Absolutely. And ballroom is tremendous. It, it's, I know that was obviously an introduction for a lot of people. And if it wasn't, you know, people are only familiar with some of his later work, Amer- at least as far as the, the American audience goes, I, w- I would always point to this. You want to rent something? This is, of course, video store days. Rent this and you're going to have your mind blown. I got to work on the stage musical version when we Ooh. when we adapted to the stage. So I watched the movie even more times to work on that. So getting to be a part of that process, you know, a movie I grew up with and loved and then getting to, you know, help translate it to the stage was so much fun. And I bought one, you know, bo- bought so many feathers. Like I filled Baz and Sam's <laughs> entire first floor full of feathers. <laughs> Good Lord. <laughs> when, you, when you worked on Broadway stuff and stage stuff, is it just mm-hmm. for, for the run of the show or were you just at the initial stages of, of creating costumes or, or, or are you on for the full run of a show, whether, whether it was a traveling show or if it was just in Broadway? Did you stick with the whole show of a run or was it just for that prep and, and of the show itself? It was mostly prep. Uh, For Broadway, I mostly just was in the construction side of things. So I made all the clothes and then I assisted on a lot of shows off Broadway. So I was involved up until opening night and then I could, you know, let it go. And then I sort of made a decision in 20, it was like New Year's Day, 2015. I was like, I have to make a choice, either fully go into film or stick with theater because I was sort of getting pulled both directions. And that was when I was like, okay, I'm not taking any theater jobs this year. I'm only doing film. I'm going to see how it goes. And it was like one of the greatest years I had. And that's when I designed my first feature, The Eyes of My Mother. And that's when every, the ball really started rolling. Cause after Gatsby, I stayed with Baz and Catherine for a long time doing all sorts of projects. Um, but then I really wanted to start designing on my own and they have always been so supportive of me. And, you know, I learned getting to learn so much under Catherine Martin, like one of the most uh, genius designers that has ever been. <laughs> and right. it was also so kind to boot. I mean, I learned so much from them, too. Uh, so I'm very grateful for that time. But then, you know, fil- film was it. What is I'm trying to answer on those same questions other people ask. And I think because I have such an interest in your work, it's it's hard not to point to the big, the big stuff. Mm-hmm. We mentioned pre-Mike, you work with Christopher Landon a few times, and then I'm going to go right to those two movies that, that really struck me. And, and you, you, again, you, you would think because they're slasher movies of sorts, this, this second one, yeah. not so much <laughs> that, that they have such a unique take, but also feel just as fresh. The one that, uh, happy birthday to you is the sequel to happy birthday to me. Happy death day. Happy death day. Sorry. I'm man. This is, <laughs> I was like, what are you talking about? No, that, too, that too. All right. So I'm corrected. I know better than that. What, again, not only do we have a genre shift in there, but it, it makes me, it made me wonder what's it like working on a, a loop based movie like that where it comes to costume, especially action movies or anything where you have to be concerned. You're having two or three pieces per character minimum, right? As far as like, like as far as, as far as hero characters go. Especially if I were starting out, the thing that was interesting, because I didn't do the first Happy Death Day, so I inherited, you know, the boxes of clothes from the first movie. And it was, you know, the first movie was a a small, low-budget film. So there was only a couple multiples, even... You know, and I was stuck with a lot of costumes for from the first movie. So, you know, we're repeating the same day. And we, Chris and I could make a choice. We're in a new dimension in the second movie. Do we change things or do we keep it exactly the same? And we thought it would be too confusing if we changed anything besides tree. Right. So it was like, okay, I'm stuck with this. I have to troll the entire internet to try to find more multiples because I couldn't just have one 
piece for the whole movie. Right. Um, like there were so, and it was years later. So I was on Poshmark, I was on eBay, I was uh, on Etsy just trying to find any multiples that I could. Actually, the Babyface Killer was the hardest to get, find the shoes, <laughs> the same shoes, because I had multiple people playing the killer, like stunts and, and actor-wise. So right. I had to get more copies of that. So that was a huge challenge. I, but the biggest challenge was matching all the background from the first movie. Oh, right. Because sure. <laughs> none of those clothes existed because they were background that they just had come for that week or whatever. They were filming the quad. So I took screenshots of every frame of that quad scene. Wow. And I matched every single background <laughs> as closely wow. as I could. That was No, hard. you did a great job because you can't tell. <laughs> no. Yes. Awesome. <laughs> and until you mentioned the BGs, I'm like, oh my gosh, I, didn't even, I wasn't even thinking about that aspect of it. I was yeah. just thinking about the immediate and on-camera actors and actresses. Wow. I can't even. Wow. Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was. And there was a couple of times, too, where I would show Chris a frame from the first movie. He's like, I don't remember that background. I was like, well, they exist. So I have to. <laughs> Because a couple of them, he's like, that must have been a bogey on the day. Someone who just walked in the frame. So it was a lot of um, just matching. Per I worked really closely with our second AD on set to like place people in the right spot. And we did get some of our featured background actors back, you know, because we filmed in New Orleans again. So we were able to get some of the same people, but others not so much. So it was definitely a piecemeal challenge. <laughs> See, this is this is one of those many things that I talk about with people, uh, you know, when I'm in, just talking about movies in person or, or TV shows or whatever. It's that kind of detail that, I mean, I pay attention to lots of details and things in, in, in movies that I'm watching, maybe not in this first row, but I wouldn't, and I've seen that movie four or five times. Again, that, that <laughs> kind of extra detail, I wouldn't even have, but this is why you're Whitney, right? That's why you do what you do. It's good that you didn't notice because it felt correct. You know right. what I mean? I feel like if you did notice, right. then I would have not done my job properly right. in this instance. And like you noted, it, just some out of focus background player. And that, that there was something about it that you made you, I have to make sure that works. Mm -hmm. And I love that attention to detail. Because like you said, for a movie that is repeating the same day, but we're seeing lots of different things, but we're still seeing some of the stuff from before. How much was employed at all? Was it all, everything that we saw in the sequel, was it all shot fresh, freshly shot? Yeah. All was new except for two shots in the hospital um, with her breaking the glass on the ax. That was from the first movie. Right. And there was one other little hallway scene, like three seconds. Those are the only two things that we used from the first movie. That's everything else we shot new. Wow. <laughs> And those are the times, like when you watch something like Back to the Future, when they had to recreate stuff because they had a different performer in there. Right. You didn't have that, that uh, you weren't handcuffed this time, but you still made it look as frame accurate from the first movie as possible. Well. Again, I wouldn't have even known there were that many. That many. I, I mean, I would have thought there were more than just two shots. I thought there would have been more because it's so meticulous. But as you just described, <laughs> you help make it so that it's even those little things, your mind maybe subconsciously would have caught something, but you would have never like processed it that this is exactly. different. Exactly. Right? And it's so important to me. And I, my whole family are obsessed with time loop movies, like time travel movies. That's been oh, yeah. something I grew up with. Back, I have a Back to the Future poster on my wall. It's one of my favorite movies. So it was so important for me to get it right because of my love of the genre. So that really helped push me to do the best possible job. Yeah. I mean, what I, will, I get two questions for you. One, mm -hmm. what for you, out of all the films you've designed, what mm -hmm. is your favorite? What is your best experience? How about that? Oh, I, I'm going to have to go back to my very first movie that I designed, The Eyes of My Mother, because I think it was so formative in knowing that this is exactly what I wanted to do. And I was a one-woman department. It was, you know, I think our entire budget for the movie was $150,000, and my costume budget was 3000 Like, you know, super tiny it was sort of period, sort of dreamlike. We shot in black and white. It was such an interesting challenge. But again, getting to be my own department head for the very first time. We all were living on this tiny Airbnb, or not even Airbnb. It was an old bed and breakfast that was abandoned. That was where the entire cast and crew stayed. There was only 30 of us. So it was kind of like this fall summer camp. And we were shooting mostly nights, being a horror movie. 
I turned 30 on that set and we had like a giant party and cake ended up on the ground. Like it was just all of this, <laughs> for, you know, incredible, right. scrappy experience. But I'm like, well, if I can do this as a woman, woman department, I can do anything. So that was a really special time for me. That's awesome. Yeah. How do you, I mean, obviously if anyone's seen the eyes of my mother or I'll link to in the show notes, it's a black and white movie. I mean, and it's your first movie. How does that affect how you're choosing the the design of a movie when you know it's not going to be in color? Mm -hmm. It was a huge different way of thinking. And for me, it, it's so important to talk to every department head first up. So I went immediately to our uh, cinematographer, to our DP, Zach, and we talked about what type of black and white was going to be, what the filter was, and, you know, all of those things really made a huge effect on so I, I got the black and white mode on my camera, on, on my phone. And so when I was out shopping, I would hover over the one that Zach and I thought was the closest to what he was going to be filming just to see what things looked like in the store. So like a bright pink shirt will look so blah in the black and white. So I really prioritized high contrast patterns mm -hmm. and really like big textures and really wanted to play that up so things didn't look flat. Right. It's funny because uh, what I was going to say, what I enjoy about your work is your use of patterns and stuff. And what I'm going to talk about next, maybe <laughs> I might be the only person to ever ask you about this, but I really love your work in Paranormal Activity Next of Kin. Thank you. I'm so proud of that movie. I mean, I Thank think it you. looks amazing. And I, I really think that because of the choices you made, it really, it, it helps it stand out from other films in the genre. Like, uh, you know, because I look at everything because it's what we do, right? Mm -hmm. But your, 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 your detail on, on every single character and background in paranormal activity really reads and registered with me. And, and I, I really enjoyed the movie, but your work uh, really stands out in that film. And I just, you know, I just wanted to tell you, cause I don't think that I've talked to you since I've seen this movie in no, depth. I so appreciate it. I mean, that was such a challenging movie, probably one of the hardest filming experiences I've ever had. It looked you know, cold. we're filming on an Amish farm in the middle of nowhere in the winter in upstate New York. And our hotel was an hour and a half away from this Amish farm. So you're driving in the blizzards every day, an hour and a half back to the hotel at four in the morning on Amish country roads with no streetlights. So I didn't drink coffee until I worked on this movie and <laughs> I had like a million cups a day. And now I'm a coffee fiend because of this movie. But we built every costume from scratch of the yeah. Amish because, you know, you can't just go buy Amish clothes. There's <laughs> no Amish. To, yeah, right. <laughs> You have to make it, especially because they have to be uniform. They have to be the same. And so, you know, I could have gotten, there's plenty of Amish clothes on eBay and, and, you know, I got some as examples, but there's no through line and they had to look and appear Amish on, you know, to the outward people and our aging and dying was so important to me. And I had an amazing ager and dyer costumer. Uh, her name's Jess Wegern and she's the best. And she just really went to town on all those clothes because without that, it wouldn't have felt real and at home in the rest of the environment and the production design. So it was really important to get right. Well, you nailed it. I mean, it, like I said, it's really one of the things that sort of stands out when you watch that film. It just adds to the realism and sort of sets the tone of the film. And it's, it's, it's a really moody sort of uh, mm -hmm. visual piece. It's funny because I remember, I think, having brief discussions, just maybe via text with you, you know, at times you were like, oh, God, it's so horribly colder. <laughs> and then, um, you know, and then I, I missed it in theaters, but I, I, but I recently watched it uh, on Paramount+. Plus. Mm -hmm. it's, it's probably one of my favorite. I mean, I've seen most of your films, and I got to say, weirdly, this is, I, I just love your work in it. So I'm just going to leave it there. You. Thanks, Freddie. <laughs> I appreciate it. The thing about Paranormal, the whole Paranormal series, I mean, it's basically the franchise that built Blumhouse. Mm -hmm. This one, there's two movies in the whole franchise that are so divergently different, but this one really is different. And I think a lot of people didn't see this until they were at home. They were probably mm -hmm. still not working yet. And this thing hit streaming service. Well, it was, it was it HBO Max. It was on Paramount Plus. Oh, it was on um, Paramount Plus. Yeah, Paramount Plus. See, yeah. I should. I mean, seriously, I was trying to make. Dude, you <laughs> plug Paramount Plus every I, week. I know. Yeah. Plug, we, it's, it's bad. I am bad with that stuff. <laughs> I remember it hitting in, I was like, wow, I, I, when there's certain movies that really reflect 
or are, are experienced better in a theater. And, and, and I think horror movies are very much that kind of thing. Agree, but, yeah. But this movie, like you said, like he noted, isn't just, it feels different than the other movies in the franchise. It isn't just the, the grading choices of, of the DP. It's, it does, it just feels different than the others. And I, I know there's, they're trying to break away from and do a unique movie and it's very effective. It is when you have us on a nice 4K TV yeah, <laughs> and it's really big and you're on the couch, it's the same. I don't want to say it's the same experience, but it's pretty close. But it is a beautifully rendered movie from, you know, from the ground up. And I can't help but just reiterate what Freddie's saying. It does look very, very authentic. Thank you. That's the best compliment. And I think, you know, really goes hand in hand in how important communication between departments are. We were all really talking to each other and communicating between, you know, our DP and our production designer and me and hair and makeup. It was like such a collaborative process. And I find that that's always when you get the most successful product is when you're all working in lockstep together. Right. Your experience with Chris Landon, you mm-hmm. guys just earlier this year worked together on We Have a Ghost for, mm-hmm. for Netflix. Is that your first time we're having to work with costuming on on set and as well as another location and knowing these two things are going to be melded together? So much of the ghost work, obviously, I'm assuming was shot separate from the actual practical on set stuff. It's actually funny. So it was like we were making four movies. Everything was shot at on set and on location. So we'd film it with everyone in camera. We'd film it with David not on camera. We'd film it on David by himself. And then we'd film it with the mirror ball with VFX. So we filmed every scene four times, four different ways. So it was a really labor-intensive process. And, you know, just deciding on what David was going to wear as the ghost too. you know, making sure there was no blue or green in his costume because right. it would inter- interact with the blue and green screens because we were using both for all of that stuff. So it was definitely like a, a really interesting, like working very closely with our visual effects supervisor and making sure everything was always working. <laughs> it's a Netflix only show. And, and boy, if, if uh, Netflix keeps buying all these, these movie theaters, I, and I know they do it for the sake of making sure their, their quote unquote award fair is mm-hmm. qualifies to be even nominated for whatever award. This movie, I would the second this movie gets put up on a big screen somewhere, I'm going to go see it. It is such a fun movie. I didn't know what to expect. Mm-hmm. A wonderfully funny movie, and it's very poignant. I, the idea I would have never even guessed that you guys were shooting four vi- different versions of of the moments with, where David Harbour's ghost is in the shot. I would have never guessed that. It's wild, right? And yeah. yeah, he's he's on set. Everything we filmed with him, he's physically there in the in the location, and that's just what makes everyone work so well together. Is that they actually got to act together in every scene. You're not adding him in later. Um, he was there doing everything at the same time. Especially in this time when we're coming out of this, where where production on set production has changed so dramatically. I mean, at least at the time we got when when were you, when did you guys actually shoot? This was 2021, so it was May. We got interrupted by the hurricane in New Orleans, but we, so I was there from May 2021 to November 2021. So it was a very long process, and definitely the biggest movie I've ever designed. We had like 73 principals, 150 stunts, um, and like over 2,000 background. So it was a lot of people to dress. <laughs> wow. Yeah, there's a lot going on in this movie too, and it doesn't. I think this with with a lot of. Chris's work, I find that he he doesn't want to stick when even even the movie that you call a slasher movie, it's not exactly a slasher movie. Mm-hmm. He's very genre bending when he does some of his stuff, and this is definitely one of those movies where this is the closest thing I've seen anybody get to the vibe of Beetlejuice and what it's what the the fun of it, but also the seriousness of in in the poignancy. It gets it gets a little yeah. Chris doesn't mess around when it comes to the feels, and like we talked about earlier, he's. He's not afraid to go there. And I mean, Freaky was the same way. Freaky was, has a very, um, we, we've seen enough body switching movies, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but it still feels fresh the way it's done. And it's not just the premise, it's the certain social cues that the movie takes. 
And everything. I mean, my favorite scene in Freaky is the back of the car scene between like Booker and Millie, but Millie just happens to be in Vince Vaughn's body, you know? And right. the, but I like love all of these boundary pushing things that Chris does. I think that's why I love working with him so much. One, he's one of my favorite people in the world, but and he, we are just on the same page aesthetically every step of the way. But he is able to blend all these genres together in very unexpected cool ways so everything feels new and exciting so yeah. i will i will follow him anywhere <laughs> <laughs> his stuff is very much in tune again like we have a 16 year old here so it's almost like his audience is basically my son and his friends mm -hmm. and so when people come over and like freaky was definitely one of those ones that he was appreciative of you know he he hears me talk about vince's work Vince Vaughn's work and he there's not a whole lot for him to see other than Fred Claus when he was younger so <laughs> so when I got a chance to like he's like so he want again he has an interest in Freddy's movies like I want to watch Brawl and Sub you know, so Block 99 he's like no I'm like no not, buddy not, no you're not 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 ready not yet not there yet we watched Swingers but so this was like the second thing he had seen uh, with Vince and he he finds certain details of him and he kind of fixates on him and he is somebody that he he will point out certain things about like that that red coat that Millie wears. Mm -hmm. He just there's that red coat. There's that red coat. <laughs> and, like he, he 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 recognizes those little things in there, and how impactful. So when he, when he saw the Blu-ray sitting out this week, because I was kind of going over stuff preparing, and he's like, "Oh, Dad, that that leather jacket, that leather jacket." <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, he he's very much, he, he loves, when I told him you were going to be on the show, he said all that. He, again, he loves the people that, that make the stuff work. Everybody knows the names, but mm -hmm. he recognizes how key costuming is to everything. And because I, I make sure he understands that. <laughs> he's, I don't, you know, these are the kind of things that my dad would point out to me. And, and it's important that, that we feel anyway, that we, it's important that, Voices that normally don't get put on podcast because it, I mean, especially such a visual part of a filmmaking process, it's hard to kind of convey that certain mm -hmm. thing. So, but I don't care. You can still talk about it. People can well, still. Everybody always wants to talk to directors and DPs. Yeah. Man. Yeah. 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 That's true. I'm like, we have cool stories too. We have cool <laughs> stories. And Whitney and I are tired of talking to directors and uh, DPs all the time. So <laughs> we'd like to talk to each other. I'm just exactly. kidding. Exactly. Cut no. this out, Corey. I don't want to offend anybody. <laughs> We love all of our collaborators. We do. But, you know, for me, like, I'm always interested in, like, when I start a film, I'm always interested in who is the DP, obviously, and who is mm -hmm. the costume center. Because we have to work in a harmonious uh, environment. Otherwise, mm -hmm. you know, the movie suffers. Like, you can tell Completely. from your work, and I, and I know from working with you, that there's always an open line of communication and talk. We talk about what people are wearing, when people are wearing this, what people, you know, what, what the walls, you know, it, it's that kind of interaction that it's probably lost on a lot of people who, you know, they just look at movies and, you know, and they're not really aware of why things, you know, but there's a lot of work to get what's on the, uh, up on the screen. There's a lot of work that kind of goes unnoticed sometimes. And, you know, I mean, and I always say like the best production design or the best costume, it, it's the, it's the stuff that your eye just accepts it rather than mm -hmm. like, wow, holy cow. Why did right. you paint that wall fuchsia? That's terrible. Right. What were you thinking? <laughs> right. It feels rounded. It feels real. And like, right. that's so important, especially something like freaky, everything had to be grounded hmm. to feel. So the supernatural made sense. You had Correct. to have everything else feel real. And like killer men too, you know, you would walk me through all the locations so I could see exactly where everyone was going to play and make sure I didn't have clothes that would blend them into the background. Or if that's what we wanted, I would do that. You know, we need that information in order to make it a seamless film. Yeah. And I thought you guys did that great. Freaky. Here's the thing. Freaky could stand on its own as just a body swap comedy or mm -hmm. as a body swap comedy slash horror hybrid because it's built in the reality and everything looks great the world is there and then that other world is a, is allowed to come in and play. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We sound like we do when we talk about Paramount plus when it comes to Chris's work, but you've, that's, I mean, you've done a lot of work with him being such a fan of movies in general, like he is and the storytelling. He, he's really good on keeping the same people around, which is obviously why when you have that communication and that's kind of what I'm getting to is, Mm -hmm. That communication that you and Freddie are talking about, how it's key to everything. It's uh, it's the key to you having a good experience on a project and 
it's the key to it being the exact opposite. And if you don't have that communication across the board from every department, it, it can cause uh, not just the difficulties in the show, but your overall experience and kind of like questioning your next job and how and what you take down the next job. Completely. This job is so hard. I mean, we're working crazy hours for months at a time. And if it's not fun, if it's not enjoyable, <sighs> then what are we doing here? You know, right. hundred <laughs> percent. Say it all the time. Like you can only pick the people you work with. So, you know, mm-hmm. you, you know, it starts at the top. So it's fun. I've been fortunate that I don't know that I've worked with anybody that I didn't like. I mean, I didn't, maybe there was times I didn't mm-hmm. enjoy every moment of everything, but mm-hmm. it was never particularly about an individual. Like you said, what are we doing here? Like, and can you imagine how, I've not, I've yet to be on a really bad show and I knock on wood because I, I can't imagine even spending three months on, on something and being miserable. Like, it's too I, long. I, it's, it's, too- a, it's an experience I hope to not have. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, and even on the tough ones, I've had some, you know, a roller coaster of experiences, but then you find your people, you find who makes it joyful. And right. sure. um, even in those tough, those tough moments, you're like, well, I got to have a good time because otherwise I should just quit. Right. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, like again, part of what made Killerman, cause Killerman wasn't super enjoyable at times. It was, it was hard. Yeah. <laughs> but it was hard uh, because it was, yeah, there's a, there's a, there's a good story there somewhere, yep. but I don't want to bore anybody with that right now. And you and I lived it. So, yep. <laughs> But uh, the takeaways from that, like you, you and I are friends and we became mm-hmm. friends on that. And that. Those are the things they take away. So all of the rough patches um, during production and, you know, all of the, of the stories that we can always, you know, reminisce over coffee someday. Right. It's all it's all taken and erased by the, uh, you know, the positive. And, you know, that's kind of one of the things that... Uh, you know, makes this business fun is, you know, when you meet and you enjoy working with people and then, you know, you, you can hopefully try to gravitate and circle back and work with those people again, because I'm still trying to get a job with you, Whitney. I know we're, we've been trying for years. I can't believe it's been six years now. We're, we're one, we gotta, we gotta figure out something. We gotta work harder. <laughs> well, one of the things that you kind of touched on how difficult a movie is and if it's been, uh, not just movies, but just projects in general, it, you get to a certain point sometimes, I make mental notes like next time I have to keep an eye out for the X, Y, and Z because I don't want to experience that again. Obviously, we do what we do because we're doing it for our career and, their, and the financial uh, aspect of it. I know from reading your blog and, and I'll feel ex- external from that too, how costume has historically don't make as much financially on a project and it, it kind of led me to read about more about pay equity and do you want to mm-hmm. talk about that at all oh a hundred percent it's one of my big talking my soapbox i get on pretty much every day on instagram <laughs> <laughs> it's just uh, uh we are such world builders and it's not that we want to take away anything from any of our amazing colleagues everyone deserves to get compensated well for their work but feeling like Costume designers are part of the, you know, big three of production design and the DP. We're the the main world builders, and we just think we should be compensated the same as production designers, and it just isn't that way. And so it's something that we're trying to fight towards, and it's not just um, upping the pay, but also just getting credit for our work. I right. mean, there's so many articles that talk about our clothes or the outfits that this actor is wearing, with no mention of the costume designer. And right. we really are, you know, huge figureheads in, in culture and fashion and tastemakers. And we're just completely erased from the narrative so often. So that's a big thing that I'm trying to help change and educate people. But, you know, our rates are, are so much lower a lot of the time, too. We're majority women. We're a very diverse group of people. And costumes tends to be looked at as women's work sometimes, which is, you know, completely insane. so (laughs) stupid. (laughs) Um, But it's the reality that we're just trying to fight against. It doesn't, it seems like the movie business has regressed a bit, if if you can believe that. Mm -hmm. But like, I mean, you know, back in the fifties and I mean, Edith Head, right? Like who doesn't know who Edith Head is? Right. You know? Completely. Right. But I I don't feel like it's given the same sort of credit um, today. Like I feel like the craftsmanship is what is uh, sort of 
not respect, not, not respected is the right word, but it's not recognized, I guess. Completely. To me, like I said, watching Paranormal, it's really your work stands out to me more than anything else in the movie. So for, I mean, again, it's because maybe just because sometimes our work is so seamless mm-hmm. that it's just washing over them in a way that it, it's real and it, and it, and they're just not understanding. I don't know. Maybe they're, I, mean, I sometimes I try to like, you know, I'm like, is it a compliment? Is it, you know, but you don't always have to be like showy, but like for right. me, like my first discussions usually are with the costume designer, you know, mm-hmm. because you know, of our, the way our work has to blend. So, and I, I think that costume designers should make what we make. <laughs> right. I don't make that much, but you know, and sometimes like, I'm sure you're the same way. I know you are because we've had this conversation. Sometimes it's not about the money. It's about the project and right. exactly. right. what exactly. you want to be able to do. But still, I think that costume design is, uh, there's a, there's a funny part of me that like, thinks in another life I could I, I would like to be a costume designer <laughs> just the getting to I love being the center of the film almost in a lot of senses because I'm with the actors but then I'm also yeah. talking with the production designer and I feel very much in connection with every single person on on the film set which is really a fun place to be and you know we in the olden Hollywood days, you know, the production designer was in charge of the whole production, but that's not the way that modern films no. work anymore. And so, you know, we're very much equals in tandem. And there's different levels of pay that's like, how long have you been in the industry? But we just think that scale rates should be equal across the board. And yeah, each project for sure. each project is different, you know. Just I want to make the same as the production designer on the project I'm on because we're doing the same movie and we're working the same amount and we're doing very similar jobs with very similar, you know, department structure. And again, I love all my production designers like Freddie, you know, you're a dear friend now and it has nothing to do with my colleagues and their work. We just want to be, you know, brought up to the same level. I couldn't agree more. When people listen to our podcast and they wonder, like, what is a, like, they'll ask me, like, well, Freddie, what does he do? He's like, well, he's, he works in our department, he's a production designer, right? And, and it's, it's, it's funny how often people, well, what, what does that job mean? Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, it depends on the movie, right? <laughs> it depends on the project. <laughs> uh, could, he could be wearing uh, lots of hats. I mean, you wore, what was the, what was the amending? You were, you were like five hats on that, right? I mean, look, man, I wear, I mean, it, it's just, the way, it's, it's also just the way I am. I am a person who, right. if something's not getting done, I will take it upon myself to push it forward and make it, make things happen. Because I'm sure Whitney, you have, you, you have these same quite, you know, sometimes you're not feeling supported, you're not getting answers you need or, or, or things aren't going the you know, and then you, you, you just, you have to take it upon yourself to sort of to do things and to make mm-hmm. things happen. And, uh, yep. you know, so, you know, sometimes I do a lot more than I should. And then sometimes Ditto. I do, yeah. you know, <laughs> I do what I'm supposed to do, but I mean, yeah. there's never a time where I'm doing just production design. I mean, right. It's because we care. We care so much yes. about what we're doing. If I didn't we, care, right. If we right. didn't care, then the job would be easier. Right. Right. But we care <laughs> and we can't change that about ourselves. And right. It just, it is what it is. And I will stop at nothing. I do have to, you know, as my body's getting older too, I'm like, okay, I got to make sure I do strength training now just to make sure that I can still do this job. It's so physically laborious. So, you know, all of, all of that is important to take care of myself, self-care, but, right. uh, cause it's so brutal. <laughs> hey, can you talk about what you're doing now? The show you're on? Can you talk a little bit about it? You don't have to tell us too much, but just, yes. uh, you know, we're interested in what you're doing. I'm excited about this one. It's another horror movie. Um, I can't say too much more than that, but it's, um, I'm going back to Savannah where uh, Freddie and I met my first time back in Savannah. Uh, it's with some really amazing people. I love the director. I love the producer. Um, the actors are amazing. I really love the script and I haven't done a horror movie in a minute. So it's nice to go back to that and, you know, uh, it's not part of any studio. So, um, there is hopefully not going to be a shutdown on it because of the strike. Like I'm a full union girl. I'm in two unions. I run two union committees. Like I am fully in support of the writer's guild. Um, so if a picket line were to pop up, I would not cross it, but it doesn't look like it's going to happen on this one. So I can, you know, work with a 
clear conscience. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I'm just excited to get back to a little bit of horror and blood and, and fun. Awesome. We'll leave the movie to be a surprise for everybody when you get a chance to hear it. All the social medias are listed in the show notes. 